All right, well, it's great to be back here at Daybreak this morning. Uh, probably a lot of you recognize me. Uh, some of you, maybe, if you've made connection with Daybreak over the last couple of months, you're like, well, who is this guy? Why should I be welcoming him back? Uh, I was the pastor of student ministries here for about nine years, and last November, I transitioned out of that role and started exploring what God had next for me and for my family. Uh, and it's been, a, it's been a fun, well, I guess we're up to about six months now. Uh, spent four months as interim lead pastor at a church down the road in Dillsburg and really felt like God led me and my, my family there for that season and enjoyed being there with that church family. And now we've, we've ended our time there and now we're kind of reopening the search of where it is that God wants us to land permanently. But I was excited to have the opportunity to come back here on a Sunday and get to see all of you and also to get a chance to preach and share God's Word. Um, the, the book that we're looking at, or you've been looking at all summer, the book of James, is actually one of my favorite books to read. And I can explain to you why. It's because I like simple. Do you like simple? I like simple. I like when I can read the Bible and it's like very clear. If this is what you want, then you need to do this thing. And James is full of practical advice. Uh, and it's actually so practical and so simple that I've actually been trying to teach my kids a few things out of the book of James recently with moderate success. And we'll, we'll get to a little bit of that a little bit later. But yeah, the book of James is an, is an exciting one because it's filled with so much good stuff that you can apply right away to your life. So when you, when you came in this morning, I don't really know, standing up here, exactly where you are at in your pursuit of God or your pursuit of a relationship with Him, but I can assure you that if you allow God to speak to you this morning, there is going to be something practical that you can take hold of, and you can give it a try as you walk out of this building today. We're going to be talking about the power of prayer. Now, prayer is very powerful. Sometimes it doesn't feel as powerful as we want it to, you know, because we pray and we ask God for something and then he doesn't do it exactly the way we thought he was going to. And then we start to think, well, maybe prayer is not really that powerful after all. I mean, I know I've felt that way sometimes. I mean, our current situation, I've been praying for a good while now. I mean, if we talk about the time while I was here at, at daybreak and, and then the last six months, it's been you know a year and a half that I've been praying, asking God, give me clear direction. Show me how you want to move in power in my life, how you want to use me and use my family. And we're still waiting for clear direction. And that can be a little frustrating. And there have been times where I've had those honest prayers with God where I've said, God, wh- like, what's going on? I'm praying and I'm asking you to do your thing. And like, it's just not happening at the pace or the tempo that I was expecting it to. Um, you also may have noticed that I've lost a significant amount of weight since the last time that I was here. And also, I'm now wearing this fancy fitness band instead of a watch. Well, it's actually a watch, too. I feel very, you know, athletic because there's a, <laughs> a thing there, and it tells me I take a bunch of steps. Like... When did that become the signature for you're healthy? (laughs) You took a lot of steps today, Matt. We're so proud of you. But yeah, I got the new watch. I even have a new hairstyle. I got the beard. I used to have the goatee. So you're looking at me and you're probably thinking, yep, this guy's going through a midlife crisis. And yes, (laughs) yes, that's exactly what's happening. This is what a midlife crisis looks like when you are poor. 
right? Like, there's no new car, there's no vacations to Italy, there's just, you know, pants that didn't used to fit me, fit me now when I have a fancy watch. Like, that's, that's the midlife crisis for a poor person. And a lot of people have been asking me, I'm not even on a diet, I just can't afford to eat. So, I'm hoping someday to have a meal again. So I'm praying and I'm asking God for direction and some of the prayers have been answered and I'm excited for the way God is answering those, but some of them I'm still asking, God, when are you going to answer that prayer? When are you going to give me clear direction? And I don't know what it is that you've been praying for, but maybe you've been praying for a while, maybe even longer than I have been for direction. Maybe you've been praying for somebody that's sick or that's hurting. Maybe you've been praying a prayer for yourself that you've really been struggling and you need God to show up in a powerful way, and you're getting a little frustrated because you feel like, I believe that prayer is powerful, but right now God's not showing me his power through my prayers. So what's going on? And sometimes as a result of that, we start feeling powerless, and our enemy preys on this. He sees that we feel powerless, and he doubles down on that. Our sinful nature whispers to us that we are indeed powerless, And we start to hear this message that, well, because God's not moving, then there's no sense in you continuing to pray because you're praying and nothing's happening. So why continue praying? And so where we were passionately praying, now we're kind of praying. And then maybe eventually the prayers just kind of taper off because we just figure God's not listening. Our prayers become powerless when we stop having faith that God can and will and is already moving on our behalf. So how do we move on from this place? How do we pray in a way that is powerful and effective, even when our requests aren't being met exactly the way we thought they were going to be? I think that James 5, verses 13 through 18, it gives us some really good insight as to how powerful prayer truly works. You got to hear that uh, read as as we went through the sermon intro there, but we're going to spend our time in that passage and kind of dig in a little bit deeper there today. And my hope is that you're going to walk out of this building with a hope and an expectation that your prayers are powerful and that God is going to move on your behalf. And in fact, already is working, even though you can't quite see the, see the evidence of it yet. My hope is that you'll feel inspired to ask God for incredible things. Ask God for things that only he can do. Allow him to change your heart to be more like his. And My hope is that you'll take one step closer to being more reliant on him as opposed to being less reliant. Take one step away from trying to solve the problems on your own and take one step closer to saying, God, I'm just going to rely on you completely. I'm essentially asking you to choose this prayerfulness over that powerlessness. And I want to pray with you. So let's pray together. God, I love you. And I'm thankful to have the chance to to be here this morning with my church family. Um, And I thank you for all of the people that are gathered here today. And I I know that that one of the things that um, I know that you appreciate is when we can be authentic with you in prayer. And so I know maybe there's going to be a few here today that the result of having heard this message and having thought through this passage on prayer out of the book of James is that we are going to have to have some really open and honest and authentic conversations with you. And maybe some of those conversations, some of those prayers are going to happen here in this building this morning. So Lord, when we have those conversations, 
I know, Lord, you're going to respond in love. You will show us grace. There is nothing that you can't handle that we can throw at you. So, Lord, be with us this morning. Open our hearts to what it is that you have to say to us and speak your words through me, uh, even when I make mistakes with my words. I love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So James 5, 13 to 18 essentially is telling us this. Whatever happens in your life, the answer is prayer. The answer is intimacy with God. So if, if life is going good, if you're happy, then pray. If you're struggling, then pray. If you're sick, then gather the elders of the church together and pray. And when you offer up that prayer in faith, the sick person will be made well. Sins will be forgiven. Just pray, pray, pray. Make connection with God on a daily basis through intimacy and prayer. That's what the scripture says in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, is that always the response needs to be prayer. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is any one of you happy? Let him sing songs of praise. That's just prayer in singing. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. But the problem with this is that we're such independent people, aren't we? (laughs) We want to pray and ask God to help, but we also kind of want to figure it out ourselves. And some of us struggle with this more than others. I can already see this with my kids We have four, our youngest of which is two, and he's going into preschool in the fall, which you might have already figured out what that means for our family right now, is that we are potty training him. And it is awful. It is terrible. I prayed, God, just help him know how to do it so we don't have to go through this process. But we're going through the process, and the other day... He came running into the room, nothing on on the lower half. So excited. Dad, I pooped. And I was concerned that there were no words that came after. There was no in the potty. There was just, I did it. But I wasn't sure it was in the potty. I said, that's great, buddy. Did you do it in the potty? And he just smiled. And right away... I knew. And sure enough, I came around into the family room, and that is where the deposit had been made. <laughs> that did not work out the way I had intended. You see, I, I went into that morning, my wife was working, and I thought, okay, we're going to kick this up a notch. I'm going to tell my son, you can do this on your own. When you need to go, you just go. You be independent. You know what your body needs to go. And he did it right on the carpet. (laughs) I thought his independence was the most important thing, but actually he needed a little bit more instruction before he could really follow through in the way that is most effective and requires the least cleanup. You see, that's one of the things in our lives, that's kind of how we approach it sometimes, is we're like, God, I just want to do it, so give me my independence. But there's things that he needs to teach us before we can actually move ahead with what he wants to use us to do. And so we're praying, God, meet my need this way. Do it right now, because I'm ready to do it. And he's like, no, actually, you're not. There's some things I need to teach you while you wait so that when you have the opportunity to step out in faith, you are prepared for the opportunity that I provide for you. 
So some of you have been waiting for God to answer a prayer that he is ready and willing to answer that prayer, but he needs to do a work in you before he can do that work through you. There is something that he needs to teach you in this season so that when the opportunity comes to step out in faith, you have the, you are, you're capable of doing it, that you can give him the glory for that thing happening. So I, for me, I, I do have to say that I have this part of me that doesn't like to ask other people for help. Anybody else feel this way? You don't like to ask for help? Everybody else is lying right now. Like, or you're just super tired because you did everything yourself all day. I can't even raise my hand, but yes, I don't ask for help. And isn't it so frustrating when you find out that the answer to this thing you've been struggling with is actually really simple? That like, if you would have just asked somebody a long time ago, you would have figured out how to do it. I mean, I get so frustrated when that happens and I'll finally ask for help and then I'll be like, oh, so like the bunny goes around the tree and I was just jamming the shoelaces together. I just thought that's how it would work, but there's actually a process here to tie my shoes. That's why most of the time I just wear flip-flops or I have somebody else tie them and then I just slip them on. It's too much for me. But maybe you're not like me. Maybe you already know how to tie your shoes. But I bet you can relate to this idea that you like to solve problems on your own. You just want to take care of it on your own. We don't like putting them on somebody else. And sadly, we often treat God this way too. We don't pray enough. And when we do pray, we pray like it's this major inconvenience to God. Like, God, could you please, maybe, I hope, maybe you could do something about this. I don't really want to ask you for this. But if you could, could you please do this for me or for my family? But the truth is that God designed prayer this way so that you would have to come to him. That's why prayer is designed as an intimate communication with God, is that he can meet your needs, but he doesn't just want to meet your need. He wants you to know him. And so, yeah, he could act like a genie and just go around dropping things on people every day. Oh, you get this, you get that, you get this, you get that. But would that lead to any kind of deep relationship? No, it wouldn't. But because prayer is this ongoing conversation where God is at work behind the scenes, even though you can't see it, it allows you to build relationship and build intimacy and and strengthens your relationship with him. And God wants more than anything to know you and he wants you to rely on him because it deepens your relationship with him. You know what Jesus taught about over and over and over is that God wants us to rely on him in a very tangible way. That was something that Jesus taught over and over. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and God will take care of everything else. That's obviously a paraphrase from me, but seek first the kingdom of God and God's going to provide for all the rest of it. James said, if we're happy, we ought to rely on God. We ought to be intimate in prayer with God. If we're suffering hardships, we ought to rely on him. We ought to connect with him in prayer. If we're sick, we ought to rely on God. The big idea is we prepare our lives for the possibilities of God's power when we pray, but when we pray with desperation. When we pray expectantly saying, God, I know you can do this. I know you want to meet this need for me and not the half-hearted request. It says, well, God, if you get around to it, maybe you'll have some time for me. No, we pray in desperation and it's hard to pray in desperation when we're happy, isn't it? It's interesting that that's one of the emotions listed in this passage because when we're happy, we don't often think 
to pray, right? Because things are going really well. But then when everything starts going crazy, then we're like, oh God, I, I need your help. The scripture says when you are happy, you should be singing songs of praise. In other words, when you are happy, you should be giving God the glory for your happiness and not patting yourself on the back and saying, look what I've accomplished, but saying, God, thank you because you've provided this thing for me. It's tough to do that when we're happy because we get so focused on our happiness, we lose focus on God being the source of our happiness. There's a very real dilemma when we feel powerless. It's this, that we feel powerless. It is a feeling. It is not reality. It's not truth. It's not what the scriptures teach us. We aren't powerless. We are very powerful when we pray, but we feel powerless. We have a hard time seeing what God can do and seeing what he wants to do. We may feel like God can do it, but we wonder, will he actually do it? Will he actually do this for us? We, we sense doubts, and then those doubts make us pray prayers that are kind of half-hearted, not fueled by faith. So I want to take just a moment here and remind you of a few important truths that as Christians are very foundational to this Uh, this discussion on prayer. The first is this, and I mentioned this already, is that God is not a genie in a vase that is just going to grant our wishes. It's not, that's not the way that God operates. Jesus reminds us that God is a father who loves us dearly, and he wants the best for us. I just want to read this to you. I didn't put this in your outline today, but I think the message puts this just really, really clearly, and I I just want you to listen to to these words, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. It says this, don't bargain with God, be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better. So he does want to give us good gifts, but he gives us good gifts when we come to him with the right perspective. So God's not a genie in a vase that we just go to and on a whim say, hey, God, could you meet this need for me? But we build intimacy with him over time, and he is happy to meet the needs of the children that he loves. Number two, miracles are not the result of the words that we use. Sometimes you might get this impression that if you pray a certain way, or maybe there's a certain prayer that you have to pray a certain number of times, that is not the solution to getting God to move in your life. It's not that it has to be this specific set of words. What God's interested in is what's happening in your heart. Are you building intimacy with him? You know who worries about what words we use to make miracles happen? Magicians, right? It's like this specific, oh, you got to say these words and then this thing happens. But that's not what this is about. This is not magic. Magic pales in comparison to the power that we're talking about here. The God of the universe wants to meet your needs. Well, we have in a relationship with Jesus is much powerful, much more powerful than any of that. And if you want to look, look this up a little bit later, you can look in Matthew 6, 5 through 8, where Jesus reminds us that our heart is so much more important than our words. It's not about the words that we say. It's about the condition of our heart when we come to ask him. I mean, you guys know what it's like to ask for something in prayer where your attitude is, just isn't right. No, God, I just, I want you to do this thing for me. I I know we're not really close and we haven't talked much lately and I've kind of just been doing my own thing. But if you could give me this new job, that would be awesome. 
right? Like, we're, we don't have the right attitude when we come to him. We just haven't talked to him for a while. We think, I'm going to go back and see the genie again, and he can just give me the thing that I need. But that's not the way that it works. It's, it's, it's about building relationship with him, developing a connection with him. And yes, sometimes miraculously God meets our needs. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. We've been there before where you ask for something in a moment where you haven't been connected with God, and he just, in his grace, chooses to do that thing for you. Yes, that happens most often. But if that is the continued nature of our prayer connection with God, then that's not what he's designed. The idea is that we develop intimacy with him. We grow in our, in our relationship with him. The third thing to remember that is very important that I feel like God's been challenging me with a lot lately is that doubt is normal and temporary. I have a tendency to beat myself up anytime I start to doubt. I think, oh man, what's wrong with you, Matt? I can't believe that you would doubt. You're supposed to be up here preaching about Jesus to people and then you have doubts in your heart. What is that? And I really tend to beat myself up about that. But you know what? Doubt is normal. There are times that we doubt. And you know what doubt does? It compels you to have faith. Your doubts are the very thing that push you towards, I got to make a decision here. Am I going to have faith in Christ even when in my mind here it's just not making sense? It's not adding up? Can I still choose to have faith in this moment even when my doubt is showing up? In Mark 9, 14 to 29, there's this overwhelmed father that says to Jesus, his son is very sick and he says, help my son if you can. And Jesus responds, essentially, if I can, like, of course I can. He says, all things are possible to those that believe. And the father replies, I think this is such an interesting way that the father responds, and I I think this is so accurate of me often, is that the father says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. It kind of sounds like the two are in conflict, right? I believe, help me with my unbelief. And what that father was saying is, I believe in you, Jesus, but I still got a little doubt here. So help me with that part that is still in unbelief. I believe. I want to believe. I trust that you can do it. I'm just not really sure if you will do it. I trust that you can. I'm just not sure yet if you will, but I really want to believe. I mean, that's the kind of open and authentic and honest interaction we need to have with God. If you are in doubt of his power, you can say that to him. You can say, look, I've read the Bible. I know that the Bible promises that prayer is powerful and that God acts in response to prayer. And so God, I know you can do it because I believe what the Bible says is true, but I'm having a little bit of a hard time right now trusting that you will. I know you can, but I'm having a hard time believing that you will. And then say that to God. God, help me with my unbelief. Help me to be able to trust 100% completely that you will take care of this for me. And we feel powerless. That's not the time to seclude ourselves from others, but that's that's the time that we need to reach out to somebody else. That's why James 5 says, gather the elders of the church together and pray. There is power when we gather together to pray with somebody else, when we pull other people together. Almost every miracle, every miracle that I've witnessed as a follower of Jesus was not because somebody isolated themselves from everybody else, but they came together with a group of people, and that group of people prayed for them, and then we saw God move in a powerful way. They were willing to come to others. They were willing to go and say, I just need somebody else to pray with me, because when we feel powerless, that is a great time to go to somebody else and say, hey, I 
I'm trying to believe this, but I'm struggling with my unbelief. I'm asking God to help me with my unbelief. Would you help me too? Would you have faith right now that God's going to do something in my life when I'm struggling to have the faith to believe it? You see, prayer invites God's power when we feel powerless. And sometimes if you feel powerless on your own, the next step for you is invite somebody else into this process. Allow somebody else to pray for you that is willing to pray with power on your behalf. You see, prayers become powerful when we know what we want. It's this marriage of two things. When we know what we want, but then we also know what God can do. We can come to him knowing what we want, but maybe we don't trust that he can actually do it. But when those two things come together, when we know what we want and we know what God can do, that's the place that we start because we're praying with trust and we're saying, okay, God, I know you can do it. I trust that you will do it. And I I know this is the thing that I need. So God, could you please help me? But then more than that, powerful prayers happen when we are desperate in our need for God and ready to trust God to act. So it's this process where it goes from a head knowledge that because I read it in the Bible, I believe that it's true, it eventually gets into the heart where you would then say, now I am ready to trust God completely that he will act. I'm ready to trust him. Verse 15 says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. For this reason, we come to a place like this on a Sunday and we pray for each other. And I know it doesn't just happen here in a church on a Sunday morning. There's probably many times through the week that you connect with other people that pray with you and they're willing to pray prayers of power for you and over you that God would move in a special way when you feel powerless. There's something valuable to that coming together as a community. James says that powerful prayers come from people whose hearts are aligned with God. The word there that's used is righteous. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, if you're not careful, you might read that and you might be like, oh, that's the problem. He's totally not righteous, (laughs) right? I got this guy praying for me, but I know he's making mistakes. He's not righteous. That's why the prayer isn't working. It's, It's not powerful and effective because my friend isn't righteous enough. Or we pray for somebody else and we're like, well, I really wish that my prayer was powerful and effective, but it's obviously not because I'm not righteous. Because we see righteous and we kind of define it according to today's terms. We think that righteous means I am completely without sin, without error, I am perfected. But the way that that word righteous was actually used and the way that that is more accurately defined, it's not this idea of purity and perfection, that there is never a mistake made. But what the definition of a righteous person is, is it's someone that has, an, that has had an interaction with God that has invited Jesus to lead them, and they have now been set apart to live their life differently and honor God with the way that they live. That's the, those are the key words, that you are set apart. When you are righteous, you are set apart for a divine purpose, that God has a hold of your heart and he's leading you in a direction. It doesn't mean that you got it all right and you figured it all out. It just means that your heart is in the right place. It's aligned with God's plan for your life. And so when when we define it that way, we understand, well, any of us that are in pursuit of Jesus, that means that our prayer is going to be powerful and effective. I mean, that is good news. When you pray for somebody else, 
Your prayer is powerful and effective. It is making a difference. When you ask somebody to pray for you, yeah, there may be mistakes in their lives too, but if they are in that pursuit of Jesus, if they are following after him, they want to, they want to build that intimacy in a relationship with God and they are building it, then their prayer is going to be powerful and effective. That's what the scripture tells us, is that when we, when we allow someone that is set apart, someone that has said, Jesus, I want you to lead my life, that prayer is powerful and effective. James says that powerful prayers produce wonderful results. Uh, and that's the result of people who are intimately in tune with his Holy Spirit, always trying to find his direction for what's next. Now, if that's the case, I just told you that the prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of someone that's set apart, somebody that's pursuing God, their prayers are going to be powerful and effective. So if that's true, then we ask the question, well, how come it doesn't always happen? Like, I have people that I I believe absolutely are intimately connected with God, and they are praying for me, but I'm failing to see any power. I'm failing to see any effectiveness. I'm not seeing the difference that I was expecting. If a righteous person, somebody that's set apart, is praying for me, then God is supposed to do what we're asking him to do, right? Well, sometimes it's simply a matter of timing. You're asking God for something, you're asking for it now, but he knows that the better timing is for you to receive it a little bit later. And sometimes we're just not on the same page with them that we're praying right now. We're asking him to meet our need right now. But God is saying, just wait, be patient. Like I said at the beginning of the message, maybe he has something to do in you before he can actually do that thing for you. It's a matter of his timing. Sometimes God is working and you just can't see the evidence yet. He's working in a way that you can't see it. Maybe he's answering the prayer in a way that you didn't expect. Sometimes his answer to our request is no. Sometimes he closes a door where we're asking for the door to be opened, and it only comes that later down the road we can see, oh, now I get it. Thank God that he didn't lead me down that road, that he didn't let me make that decision to go down that road. He said no at that time, and because he said no, now I can see God's hand in all of this. Sometimes we're kind of getting our our signals crossed there. But I I have to say that there are also times when we are the ones holding it up. And let me explain what I mean. Scripture tells us that when we have wavering faith, that we're like a wave tossed by the ocean. When we ask for something, we don't really ask and expect it to happen. We ask, but we doubt. And because we doubt, we don't really think that it's actually going to happen. And sometimes our doubt, when we let our faith waver, we, God won't meet the thing that we are asking him to meet because our doubt is preventing it. When we are unwilling to take God at his word, when we say on the surface, yeah, I believe God can do it, but then in our thought life and in our intimate connection with him, we don't really truly believe that he can, then that prevents God from being able to do the work that he wants to do. When we embrace the doubt, and instead of saying, okay, I'm going to let this doubt in, but then I'm going to trust God, I'm going to work my way through it. When we let that doubt just sit there and consume us and consume our thought process, it limits God from being able to do the work that he wants to do because our doubt tosses us around like a wave in the ocean. This is a big part of Jesus' message, and his mission, according to John 1, is that when we believe that Jesus was God's Son and receive him into our life, we become loved sons and daughters of God, and he has promised to take care of us so we can trust him. 
When we don't trust him, that that limits his ability to move in power in our lives. There were cities that Jesus went into that he wanted to do miracles. He wanted to do work there, but there was just no faith to be found. There was no one there that trusted that God could actually do what he, was, what he needed to do. There are places that that happened, that he just, he couldn't work. Another one is unconfessed sin, that when we're unsure of our status and our relationship with God, that sometimes that limits the ability for God to move. But when we confess our sins, when we repent, we become truly sorry for not trusting in God alone, that honesty restores our relationship. It builds intimacy again, and it opens our heart to his power. You see, God can do anything, anytime, any way that he wants. And we just have to trust that he is working even when we can't see the evidence. According to one ancient prophet, he said it this way, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He wants to pour his power into the lives of the people who love him and have a heart like his. So God says, go ahead and ask me. Nothing is too big for me. In fact, we should regularly pray prayers that are so audacious that only God could accomplish them. I love the way Mark Batterson, uh, pastor and author, says it. He says, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. If your dream doesn't scare you, it's not big enough because God wants to move in power in your life. He wants to do audacious things, but if you're just going to take the credit for it, then that's not the dream that God has designed for you. He wants to accomplish things that when he does that in your life, people will look and go, there is no explanation for that other than God did a miracle in that person's life. So pray for big things. Pray for God-sized things and then trust him to do it. Because everyone I know that has chosen to follow Jesus uh, has said to me in one form or another that there was a point in their journey with Jesus that they discovered this, that life without God is just too big to be handled. But life with God's power can change the world. We know this. If we've been exploring a relationship with God and we've been building intimacy with him, there have been moments. There are are crisis moments where you know you cannot do it on your own and you have to ask for his power. You know, having four kids has a way of making life feel too big to handle. And recently I've been trying to help all of us, including me, deal with our anger a little bit better tend to to yell when we don't need to yell. And so I'm trying to figure out some good tactics to help all of us get a little bit better. I mean, before kids, I didn't know I had anger issues. Like, is that a reality for any other parents in the room? Or is that just me? Like, I was like so easygoing. And now I get angry, you know, like kids do something. I'm like, oh, I'm so mad. One morning, very recently, this past week, I was having a particularly frustrating morning and I could feel that warmth rising up my neck. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. It's just like the constant bickering and it's just, you can feel it rising. You're like, when is this going to reach like max capacity? And the anger was beginning to show up on my face and right when I was about to unleash the fury, my two-year-old who I had no idea had even learned any of this that I've been trying to teach the kids. He looks at me and with a straight face, he says, Dad, remember, be slow to speak. (laughs) I just turned and I looked at him. I'm just staring at him like, I don't even know what to do. Stop speaking God's truth to me. I'm very angry. And then like, it was like he paused for dramatic effect a few seconds later, and he says, he starts nodding his head at me. You know how parents, we do that to them? He starts nodding his head, and he says, and be slow to become angry. 
And then like he literally just sat there staring at me like this, like, what are you going to do, Dad? So I threw him out the window. I... Now we have three kids. It's okay. No, of course I didn't do that. I looked at him and I was like, Noah, you are right. I'm going to calm down now. <laughs> Sometimes God delivers the message in a unique way. God's power can change the world. And sometimes that message, we get reminded of that in a very unique place. You see, you might have thought that the Bible was just filled with heroes of the faith that never made a mistake. But when you look at Elijah, the guy that's mentioned in this passage, Elijah was a guy that God used powerfully, but Elijah also had some really tough stretches. Right after Elijah had this huge interaction with the prophets of Baal, he's up on top of a mountain, and God literally calls down fire from heaven and burns up the altar in front of him. So Elijah's used for this incredible, incredible work. Later that day, he finds out that the queen wants to kill him, and he's running, scared for his life. Like, God, don't, uh, Elijah, don't you remember God just answered with fire? Like, didn't that make an impact on you? He's running for his life. He runs into the desert. He lies down under a bush and says, I might as well die. I wish God would just take my life. The scripture today says Elijah was a man just like us. You have no idea how true that is. He was a man just like us. God used him for something powerful one moment, and he was asking for the end of his life in the next moment. See, God showed up in that moment and provided food and water for Elijah, gave him rest, and then he told Elijah to go. Well, I guess I'm assuming that he told Elijah to go. Elijah got up, and he started walking, and he walked towards a place called Mount Horeb. And he's on his way to Mount Horeb, and it took 40 days to walk there. And when he got to Horeb, he did the only thing he could think to do. He went inside a cave in the mountain of God, and he waited for God to speak. But then God did in an unexpected way. You see, there was a great wind, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. There was an earthquake. God wasn't in that either. And then there was a fire, like Elijah had just seen 41 days ago. There was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire either. Here's what it says in verse 12. Uh, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave, ready to hear what it was that God had to say to him. You see, it was in the whisper that God spoke. Don't miss the significance of this. God may want to speak to you in the whisper. You've been looking for him in the powerful. You've been looking for him to answer your audacious prayer and do it in the miraculous fashion that you are asking him for. But he might need to speak to you in the whisper. See, in the Psalms, we see God speak through earthquakes. In the New Testament, we see him speak through wind. In the Old Testament, we saw him speak through fire. But in this moment, God chose to speak in a gentle whisper. Why did he do that? Because he knew that was the way that Elijah needed to hear it that the only way he could get through to Elijah in that moment was for him to be intimate, to make that deep connection with him. The Hebrew for whisper is the word demama or silence. It's the idea of an intimacy that is so close that the vocal cords are not even necessary. They're not even used. It is that quiet. It's in that moment God could see that Elijah was at his breaking point. Justified or not, he wanted his life to end. He had no more strength in him, and God showed up in the whisper. He came in the whisper, in the quiet. God the Father came in the deepest form of intimacy with his servant Elijah and restored his faith. 
You see, God wants you to know him this intimately also. There may be times where he speaks to you or through you in powerful ways, but today might just be the whisper. That might be the way that he needs to speak to you. We're going to have in just a few moments, we're going to pray. We're going to invite you guys to come up front and pray with some of the leaders from, our, from, from with some of the prayer partners from our church. But before we do that, I want you to I want to make sure you understand this. Understand this is that God knows if you are feeling powerless this morning. It's not a surprise to Him. And if you are feeling powerless, He wants to speak to you in the whisper. You may need to hear the gentle caress of his voice speaking to you this morning. You may need the Holy Spirit to show up and talk to you in a way that you haven't heard very recently. He wants to speak encouragement to you. He wants to give you a fresh start. And he wants to give you hope to believe that he is actually actively working on your behalf in those things that you've been bringing to him. Let's pray together. God, I love you. And I come to you honestly, authentically this morning. And I ask you that you would, you would answer some of the prayers that I have, that you would provide direction where we haven't found direction yet, that you would give guidance where we're still seeking it. And for any other person that's here this morning that needs that guidance, needs that direction, I know, Lord, that you are ready to give it. I know you want to speak through the whisper here this morning. It's in your name that we pray together. Amen.